Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax. It's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Welcome to the Vet Gurus, Brendan here with Mark. Funnily enough, vetgurus.com. VetGurus at gmail.com. Send us an email, say hello, tell us about your practice, where you work in, what country, city, region you live in, and say hello. We always like to say hello. How are you, Mark? I'm great, Brendan. Really, really good. It's um, unsurprisingly, it's uh, very warm up here on the tip of Cape York, um, but uh, we're having a good time. Excellent, excellent, and you are loud and clear. Let's hope it stays that way. And we're recording on the Starlink again this time, so we sort of vary in with our recordings what system we use and what satellites or not we use, so hopefully we will be loud and clear. Loud and clear, Mark. Um, I don't have a review, Mark. You need to get sorted with some reviews, so get thinking. Get okay, thinking, I'm on to it. Maybe you should talk about some... Actually, what you can review, and this is off the top of you, you've got no pre-warning with this one, I want you to review your solar panel system for your little car because my um, practice manager wants to know about them. She wants to pop, Sam, she wants to pop them on uh, her caravan, Mark. So she said to ask Mark about getting a solar system um, for her caravan, Mark. So what's your thoughts on it? My thoughts is that it's a great idea and the technology has uh, unsurprisingly, like most technology over the last few years, taken leaps and bounds in this renewable energy energy sector, particularly for recreational vehicles. We have two panels on the roof of our camper. They are each 120 watts. They're fixed on there and that uh, keeps our battery, our uh, 208 amp hour lithium uh, battery charged like almost all the time. We do have an ancillary. The, the trick with those panels is that they are like the standard panels. And if the, the weather is cloudy, they're less efficient, far less efficient. They're great. They're most efficient in full sunshine. So we do have a blanket that um, we lay out and it's designed to um, absorb light and turn it into electricity, even when it's um, cloudy or shady or whatever. And um, and it's we lay that out when it's up here in particular. But we've had no trouble with those two things. Our battery runs the... the, um, the we've disconnected it from the car and planted it on its uh, legs and our camper runs on its own and it has done for uh, four weeks with even with the inclement weather so i reckon uh, get some solar panels on that caravan and, and you is there will a enjoy it particular brand you use or you can't remember what the name of it is or? no i think that the the there's well the i think the key thing these days is that those fixed panels, there's a yes. number of companies that make them very well and you can, they regularly import them, you know, that mass manufactured overseas in um, various Southeast Asian countries, but they do a great job and they're excellent products. The, the, uh, there is an Australian company in 
Adelaide who make the mats and they're they're world class and we've got one of those ones. But I can't the, the name of the company eludes me at the moment. That's okay. It was a without notice question there, Mark. So you can send me some. Um, I'll send you some links to it privately. Excellent. So there you go, camp in um, and caravan in um, podcast <laughs> intro here. And the only final question regarding that, Mark. So, what are you using it to power in the in the in the van? That's a good question because um, obviously it makes a difference. How what you've got going? We use the the um, the, the camper battery to run two fridges. And uh, we've got a little um, a little camper oven. We run that every second day, and we recharge the phones and cameras and things on that uh, on that battery as well. So it's it's like you can survive with that. I'm, it amazes me how efficient it is um, that we can we can like literally disconnect from the the um, the mainframe, the the power grid, and and still live. You know, you wouldn't know that we weren't uh, consuming like everyone else. You've always wanted to be off the grid, haven't you, Mark? And I can see you wrapping that blanket around your head to keep um, a bit of foil to keep the aliens away from you as well, Mark. Um, Not that you're paranoid, but yes. (laughs) Excellent. And as I mentioned, we haven't, well, I'm mentioning now, if I didn't previously, we haven't received any email this week mark but have a think about some other reviews mark and i think we will jump into our music related music related news stories mark and i'll take the first one and i quite like this one raps bop into the beat of music mark and scientists in japan the university of tokyo have played music for 10 rats fitted with wireless accelerometers to measure their head movements mark a bit of head banging going on here but interestingly enough, they also had 20 human volunteers participating as well. (laughs) And they've discovered that rats displayed innate beat synchronisation and and they were using it to provide insights into animal mind and the origin of music and dance. And the question that everybody would be thinking, including myself when I first saw this story, is what is the playlist, Mark? What is the playlist? The main study focused on responses to a Mozart tune, Mark, a musical piece, but they also had Lady Gaga, Born This Way, Another One Bites the Dust, there you go, a classic by Queen, Beat It by Michael Jackson and Maroon 5's Sugar. And it was published in the prestigious journal of science advances mark the rats were paid minute-long excerpts from mainly that mozart sonata at four different tempos 75 percent 100 percent 200 percent and 400 percent of the original speed and they were thinking that it would that rats would maybe prefer faster music mark because their bodies including their heart rate is at a faster pace but Fascinating. I found this fascinating, Mark. Both rats and human participants had optimal beat synchronicity when the music was at 120 to 140 beats per minute, which was very close to Mozart's original composition of 132 tempo, Mark. So that, I wow. found that amazing. And they also found that both rats and humans jerk their heads to the beat in similar rhythm. So they're both head banging <laughs> the same amount or same time level, Mark. Mark. So there we go. And their level of head jerking decreased the more the music was sped up. 
decreased. There you go. Do you decrease your head banging as you're playing more heavy 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 metal with faster beats, Mark, or not? I can't say that I've paid attention, Brendan, but your story leads neatly into mine, which is uh, which talks about bonobos, the the subspecies of chimpanzee that uh, that you know is regularly cited as sharing a huge amount of DNA with humans, and research from the University of North Carolina, a biomusic researcher um, uh, Patricia. Gray and Edward Larger, psychologist, a cognitive psychologist, they um, had a look at the way the bonobos behaved in terms of uh, their production of music. So they provided the chimpanzees with access to a specially tailored drum and then showed the bonobos people playing the drum rhythmically. And eventually three of the animals picked up the beat and actually matched the tempos with the drumming that they were shown. Funnily enough, unlike our, um, our rats, bonobos were found to prefer a faster pace than uh, most people preferred. So, so it is interesting. This sort of research fascinates me, particularly at the moment, Brendan, because I'm, uh, as you know, looking at the, the palm cockatoos here in northern Australia, and they're famous for for being, I think this is true, the only non-primate who uses a tool to drum. They do a display where they uh, get a stick about uh, 30 centimetres long and they beat out a rhythm to impress their partners before the breeding season. I've certainly seen you do that too, Mark, <laughs> uh, just quietly. And it is very impressive. Um, and I think Kate was semi-impressed when I, when I saw you. <laughs> It is, yeah. it is fascinating, though, how these uh, supposedly areas of human uniqueness uh, maybe not quite as unique as um, as uh, as we as we generally like to think. Yes, isn't it great that people are doing studies like this? I just it warms my heart, Mark. And the, the only final comment is the last paragraph of the little study that I reported about and we will link to all of these as usual at vetgurus.com and that is that they asked the researcher why were you studying this he says I believe the question is the key to understand how the brain works and develop the next generation AI also I'm interested in the use of music for a happy life. So there you go. And that should be all the reason you need for research. Yes, that's I'm right. Interested in the, how it affects a happy life. Yes. So there we go. So um, two great little news stories there. And we're, we have um, one prime researcher that finds a lot of these stories for us. Thank you very much. But we're also always willing to look at any news articles you send us so vetgurus at gmail.com um, if you'll find something of interest let's jump into our main topic this week mark because we don't have a review as i mentioned apart from your solar panels and that is this is one you wanted to put up there and i think it's a fantastic one telemedicine and its use in veterinary um field yes well i think it's um timely as well brendan absolutely uh, two or three years of uh, COVID, where where the way that we do a lot of these things has um, has changed. Um, I think it's uh, it is important that we have a little bit of a yarn about 
uh, telemedicine or technology-based consults. There's a number of different names that are used around the world. And I suppose the first thing to say, the, the overriding caveat, is that there are different interpretations of the the code of conduct or regulation in each regulatory jurisdiction, which determine the the uh, first of all the the legality, the permissiveness, the, Absolutely. Uh, the what you can do, and so all of our listeners should pay particular attention to the veterinary board. Check in their in their area. Check out the the their website. Do a search on. Uh, telemedicine or technology-based consults and make sure you're compliant with the regulations in your area. But they should do that anyway, Brendan, because in many jurisdictions, those uh, regulations have changed over the last couple of years and it would be important to keep up to date with them. Yes, they're rapidly evolving because it is such a, a new sort of field in the veterinary industry and Obviously, they're going to tweak them, and and yeah, we're going to nut up, nut it, go into. I was going to say nut out, but yeah, probably it's um, not quite the right phrase about the ins and outs of telemedicine, Mark. So we sort of hinted about what it is, Mark. So what would your definition of veterinary telemedicine be, Mark? Um, mine would be it's basically doing a consultation remotely. I think that's a good, you know, a good simple definition it's a consult that um, uses a form of technology you know for example video conferencing zooming some form of internet communication uh, the the traditional telephone all those sorts of forms of communication where a vet is remote to the the uh, patient and uh, and that process then you know forms a consultation so it's, it is different. You know, the outstanding thing when you and I were uh, coming out of university was that you had to be present and perform a physical exam on an, an animal um, to be able to, um, you know, perform. Prescribe a, and, yeah, and, and right. diagnose, etc. And I must admit, Mark, some consultations these days I still... I am not present, even though I'm in the room with the client. <laughs> you are. Yep, I know I'm working on autopilot <laughs> sometimes too. So, yes, yeah, so it's it, – and, and why do it? Well, the obvious one there is, and that's why there's been an explosion, Mark, in, in the telemedicine field, both in human and veterinary medicine over the last few years with, with the COVID, with the pandemic and people unable – unwilling or unable to be able to get to the, the veterinarian um, because they because of lockdowns, etc. Mark, or that or that they're not allowed, you know, they're not allowed out because of the lockdowns or they don't want to go they're worried about the risk of infectious processes, Mark. So that's the obvious one. The other big one and I think with, with countries like us here in Australia, Mark, is the distance, Mark. Um, and and the difficulty of you know, especially if you're in remote areas like you are, trying to trying to take one of your pets or even farm or, or production animals to the to the veterinarian or have it seen by a veterinarian is is quite difficult, and that's where aspects like the flying vets um, um, are involved. But even then, you you might struggle to get somebody out um, or only out several times a year for those farms, Mark. Um, so distance, Mark, is another one. Any other sort of things why you might might consider doing a, a telemedicine consultation? 
And you're exactly right, Brendan. Those two things, the uh, human medicine has probably led the way in so, in so many ways. Veterinary medicine leads human medicine. But in this instance, human medicine um, definitely has been painted into that uh, use of telemedicine because of coronavirus. And, and it even makes more sense, I suspect, in uh, veterinary medicine because of the number of situations where animals are remote to the the uh, particular uh, veterinarian who has the expertise to help them. So, so yeah, I can see why it's developed. And the third factor uh, that you didn't mention was that um, the technology has, has come along so far, you know, that um, it is feasible that you and I can do a, a, a podcast while I am very remote. And so while it has its hiccups, it does provide uh, people who are remote with access to services that they would not otherwise be able to get. Yep. And I suppose the only final one that I'd consider, Mark, there is time as well. You know, people tend to be more time constrained these days, um, more and more, and bundling the animal into the car and getting it down to the vet. They much prefer the convenience of, of sitting at home and potentially logging in on Zoom or whatever and um, chatting to the veterinarian for a teleconsultation. So how does it go about, Mark, this process of telemedicine? And I suppose the, 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 the interesting, fascinating thing I find is that there are an increasing number of companies that, that provide that sort of, that they're a bridge between the vet and the client and they provide the telemedicine sort of process and they they package everything up with the, with the, um, the internet um, video conferencing and and the billing system etc with them so that's something we should men- mention as well um so but ha- how does it work mark what's do you want to step through if somebody does a televet consult how do you go about it um, from from your perspective i suppose so what what's the process if somebody says i want to have a teleconference um telemedicine consult with mark well i think the key thing is that um you know, once you've made the, the appointment, you schedule the time, the the veterinarian must make sure, the veterinarian I, um, if I'm doing it, must make sure that the technology is suitable to convey all the information. So, you know, I might want a person to move the phone, for example, around an enclosure so I can see the whole enclosure the reptile is in. I might need them to have a camera that's suitable that I can see the condition of the animal through the, the, uh, the, the camera. I might, and, and I also need to make sure that the, that the work that I'm doing is, is able to, you know, I don't want to overstep the mark and uh, make a diagnosis of this, uh, of the species of virus causing a problem um, when I haven't done the appropriate tests. So making sure that whatever uh, diagnostic process I do remotely, whatever virtual physical exam I do, um, that I don't hesitate to follow through with the appropriate testing. That's, you know, really important. Because you are remote, there is a tendency to sort of go, oh, look, I'm not there, so I can't uh, take the samples for bacteriology or I can't draw some blood. Um, so we'll have a crack at this sort of treatment. Um, and I think that's where vets need to be a little bit careful. There are obviously, you know, if you see a dog um, that has fleas on it, you can definitely 
um, make that diagnosis remotely with the caveat that there may be something else going on underneath, organise the treatment and then uh, move on to whether something else is causing yes. that dog's problem. And that's where getting back to looking at the regulations in your region about um, how you know how you can or cannot diagnose things. But I think where one one aspect of where the telemedicine can shine, Mark, is on on repeat prescriptions and and you know the equivalent of a revisit consultation. So you have physically laid eyes on the animal and done a clinical examination of it fairly recently within the last few weeks or last few months, and the client is just requesting a, a, a you know a follow up consultation, a revisit consultation equivalent or a repeat on on a medication that you've prescribed initially that you think maybe needed to um, continue and 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 uh, that's where it works I think the best there mark um, with it and just going back one step I, I briefly mentioned about those companies that do it part part of the part of that process that people may be a little bit concerned about is the whole you know what if I do a consultation and um, I don't get the payment from the client, um, that sort of thing, and, and that's where it's all often wrapped up in, you know, the prepayment with the with the system that's involved with those. So that's one of the other advantages of those things, and also those. And I'm not mentioning any of them; those telemedicine sort of products for vets. So I do want to promote one over another. Is that they also package the uh, clinical history as well within the program so the vet can be typing on their iPad or computer at the same time and that's that sort of pumped back into the veterinary practice management software to provide you know, um, um, provide you know regulatory compliance etc um, with it so so you know that they've been refined over the last uh, um, year or two as well um, although a lot of people just managed to to do it as a straight within the practice themselves, Mark, and they just say, okay, we will do it with that particular individual. It is it is one that would qualify for a telemedicine consult and they just arrange a, even if sometimes it can just be a phone consultation, Mark, um, exactly. I suppose, um, you know, that doesn't have to be a video one um, specifically um, and away you go. So, but you'd have your own practice policies i suppose um as far as whether or not the the consultation is paid up front etc before the phone or the video consult is is done Mark. i think that you, you the one thing there is and we've harped on about it in so many other uh, our podcasts that deal with practice management is that it's good to have a a policy beforehand but it's also good to communicate that to the client that you know that if it is a phone call the receptionist uh, needs to sort of let the client know, okay, this is a phone consult. The vet is going to charge you for it. The appointment is at this time and uh, we'll organise the payment before you speak to the vet. And then that expectation is completely managed before the event rather than trying to do it after. Yep, yep. And I know I've undertaken some phone consultations with my um, human GP, Mark, and the system that they have there as well is um, that you ring in at the appropriate time and one of the receptionists at the medical centre deal with you and then you're popped on hold until the doctor is ready. So um, the same thing potentially can happen in the veterinary sphere and that the vet's not waiting for the client, that you have the client <laughs> waiting for you. And 
it seems to work quite well because there's obviously a lot of the GPs are under a lot of stress these days and, and, and running late. So um, more often than not, it's the the patient or the or the human patient anyway that's left on hold um, for a while. So, you know, you, you work out your system, I suppose, Mark, don't you, for that works best for you and how it does and doesn't work. But I think part of that you need to really stress, as you mentioned, not only the, the fact it's a paid consultation, also that it's X number of minutes, you know, 15 minutes or whatever, or half an hour, depending for, for that. And if they're going over, they're told, bad luck, you know, you have to pay an extra fee or whatever. But also the expectations before the call that the receptionist or the practice manager or whatever has gone through the through it with the client that okay this is this is what we can and can't do obviously um, and and you know you're covering yourself and because you physically can't have that animal in front of you they can hold it up to the video um, but to the camera but apart from that we need to be careful about what we can or can't diagnose. That's exactly right, Brendan. One other, one final thing I thought I'd mention about the regulatory framework. We mentioned before that it's rapidly changing. That I know that there are different. I know many jurisdictions are working for some sort of consistent approach across all jurisdictions within Australia and all around the world. But at the moment, there are slightly different um, interpretations about where you need to be registered. So you might be, for example, in our yes. situation, registered in in Australia somewhere. You should be very cautious about consults that are sufficiently remote that you might be in another country, and you really need to check which what the the um, the, the regulations in the state that the patient is in as well. They're, they they are, are really quite different between jurisdictions at the moment. And while I know they're working to standardise them, it, it would be very important for any veterinarian doing remote consults to be abundantly aware of both the regulations in their state where they reside and the state in which the patient is in because uh, they could run foul of something they're unaware of in that circumstance. Yes, excellent point, Mark. And the bottom line there is just check, before, you know, don't just... Uh, the regulatory bodies are, are great these days but you know if you've got a query or, or even contacting the equivalent of like the uh, here we have this AVA the Australian Veterinary Association or, or the you know the JAVMA or uh, American Veterinary Medical Association etc so just the BVA just contact them and even if it's not the if it's your representative association like that they'll be able to help as well and they often have policies and i know the ava has a policy i think on telemedicine for example um, so don't guess as usual um, find out beforehand and you know if it doesn't work and, and and you're unsure about it then you don't do it it's that simple you say no you've got to bring your elephant into the con- <laughs> consult mark and try and squeeze it into the way you're exactly so I think with that, Mark, we'll get out of here. And thank you very much. We, I'd be, gee, I'd be super interested in finding out what listeners have experienced with the use of telemedicine, Mark. So I know some of our, I know some of our listeners have had some experience with that sort of stuff, and I too would be very keen to hear what they think. 
the good, the bad, and the ugly, and we can anonymise it. Um, if you want to send us a, an email, um, that's not a problem. Vetgurus at gmail.com, and we look forward to receiving that. And with that, we're out of here, and we'll talk to you all next week. to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus. Don't forget to visit us at the website vetgurus.com where you can subscribe, view show notes, listen to previous episodes and more. You can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi. Thanks again and see you next time. Vet Gurus.